So, my life's in chaos. Thank you. Welcome to episode 30 of the Mid-Faith Crisis podcast. My name's Nick Page and I'm joined by Joe Davis who is struggling to pull himself together. <laughs> as we bodily What's the form. matter with you? <laughs> Nothing. Just my life is in chaos. Is it? That's <laughs> normal. Right. What, what's, what's wrong? Go on. Okay. Well, uh, my wife, I mean, bearing in mind we don't go to hospital either of us. It's something about a podcast, I've decided. Well, don't, she people don't is, generally just go to hospital anyway. She's in I mean, A&E you know. as we oh, speak okay. uh, because she fell uh, and really hurt her foot at the weekend. But it's taken till now to decide that this bruising and everything is so bad. So she's been sent to one hospital and they said, oh, no, that does look bad. So they sent her to another hospital and she's in A&E where she will probably wait for hours. So we may get a phone call during this podcast whereupon I shall go and pick her up. That's the headline news. The sub news is there's no central heating and the car's broke. But other and we're skint, but that's that's oh, not Joe. that's just normal stuff. <laughs> Why so the old boiler the old just, boiler has broken down. It's, it's, it's a story and, of disaster. And also but, your central heating. Thank exactly. you. Hang on. Uh, several anyway. jokes are here. Let's not go on about it. Oh, well, I'm so sorry. Um, should you not be with her rather than recording a podcast? Well, I mean, there is certainly a body of opinion. <laughs> <laughs> Coming no. mainly from her. No, being the lovely person that she is, she said, "Look, I'm just sitting in Annie, so you get on with it." And then oh, okay. the idea is, I'll go and sit with her and treat her to my undying affection and chocolate. And well, alcohol. hasn't she suffered enough without your undying affection? <laughs> yeah, she probably the... has the poor woman. Yeah. It's actually a bit of respite for her going to the hospital. <laughs> Well, in that case, we ought to um, romp through this podcast. We and should. make it as fast as possible. But let us start with, with good news. Enough bad news. By the way, yes. how are you? I'm all right. Still can't see very well out of my right eye, but that's neither here nor there. We're getting old, aren't we, really? That's yes. the point. Yeah. Bits falling off, change and decay in all I see, right. especially in the mirror. Thank right, you. Right, go on then. Okay, um, well, two things. Firstly, go and see Paddington the movie. Have you seen it? No. Oh, just just one of the best films of the year, everyone, seriously. There's so much I could say about how terrible Justice League was and many other films I've seen, but Paddington is a genuinely heartwarming, uplifting experience and it's all that's good about I'll tell you what world. I did see last week what? was uh, Follies from the National Theatre. Which was, uh, they do this thing where they film it and they put it out at cinemas. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Hmm. It's just stunning. Was Sometime it? Sometime musical. Oh, it's oh, the okay. most moving, wonderful I, musical. I, was I know nothing of that of story. No, okay. well, it's it's about midlife lives falling apart, actually. In case, so, right? so I really wouldn't go, Joe, if I were you. <laughs> I'm just, not, I am not going not to that. Not a week to go to that. No, I, no. I'm going to see Paddington again. I no, believe okay. me. Yeah, do that. Okay, so... And more good news. Uh, so if you were to go to our website, which is www.midfaithcrisis.org, as we mm. all know, you will find on it a link to the Week for the Bewildered or mm. Midfaith Crisis Week, as it is officially titled, because we couldn't call it a Week for the Bewildered and they would never print it in their programme. Anyway, no. Lee Abbey, uh, it's all up. You can book. Uh, you do, strangely enough, have to book quite quickly because... The weeks in June sell out, not because we're great speakers, though we have both spoken there and people will come um, and see us. But um, 
but because it's in the most one of the most beautiful places in England and it's in June. So it's an extraordinarily good time of year. So the week, I, just to be clear, when we call it a week for the bewildered, we're slightly misselling it. It starts on a Monday evening. So you travel down on a Monday. And I think, as we've said before, it takes a few weeks to get there. Mm. Um, mm. And then it, it finishes after breakfast on the Friday, in fact. So, yes. you, you know, in, in, clear, in terms of clear advertising, you arrive on a Monday, we have a little session on the Monday night, and then it's all day Tuesday, all day Wednesday, all day Thursday. Yeah. And then we leave after breakfast on Friday. And when I say all day, what I actually mean is, <laughs> <laughs> just to it's be ruthlessly yeah, clear, well, we, we get to chat to people in the morning and then you get the day off and you you just stroll in the most beautiful countryside and there's wonderful walking, nice Yes, I ought to say pubs. it is a retreat centre, isn't it? So, yeah, I mean, exactly. It's a great place to go. And uh, yes, so basically when we say the week for the bewildered, what we actually mean... A few hours a seri- for the bewildered. A series of half days. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> a few half days Not even a week. Bewildered. Yeah. No. It's about a day when you add it all up. Yeah, really. <laughs> if that... And if you actually took actual content, I would say probably 20, 30 minutes. Yeah, Something about that. But it's got to be worth it. Yeah, so so do join us and uh, we'd love to see you there. Uh, Yeah, full details can be found via our website or on the Lee Abbey site. Yeah, we are Uh, looking forward to seeing you, assuming neither of us are in hospital by then. Okay, right, moving on. Mm. (laughs) Shall I do some letters? Yes, do some letters. Okay, we've had some really lovely ones. Thank you uh, to uh, Dickon for his letter. Um, and some really great um, stuff on uh, gender stereotypes. But uh, mm. but then he was picking up on the men's breakfasts, and I, I think there's a feeling we may have gone mediumly over the top when we were talking about men's <laughs> Who breakfasts. Who, us? But he was, Surely yeah, not. Yeah, no, but he, he, he did make the point that they... Um, that uh, his play, his church uh, do do uh, men's things. And he says, this is not about being real men in inverted comments, as in the toxic maleness to which one of your correspondents referred, but rather men being able to be themselves with each other, daring, feeling, free to admit, expose their weaknesses and be supported and encouraged. Which I think, uh, you know, perhaps you didn't make that point clearly enough that that is what's good. And that's why we don't want to say these things are terrible. They yes, are, can be yeah. so positive getting genders together, be they male or female, for different reasons. But there is a, I think we were just trying to point out the unintended consequences of excluding people and or just playing to the gender stereotypes. So, mm. but thank you uh, for a really interesting and good uh, email. Can I move on? Yes. Um, just uh, we have more correspondence about books and what books and uh, Stephen Smith wrote in he said uh, I'd like to suggest the first of the David Benner trilogy Surrender to Love I had no in- idea the Incredible Hulk had written um, but that's <laughs> no, David Benner whatever Benner yeah. and uh, not Bruce Banner and yeah they're very good very good Steve it wasn't Bruce Banner that's Bruce Wayne it was David Banner I mean no, you know. you're thinking of David Copperfield oh, oh yes. no, hang on he's a magician <laughs> anyway go on um, d- yes Surrender to Love's very good yes <laughs> might point out what a high standard this is yeah. <laughs> okay Phil uh, Phil wrote in uh, in answer to your request and I'll keep it brief and he said normal good comments thank you blah 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 uh he says pretty much anything by adrian plus uh the glimpses of faith and of god that he gives us are all most affecting and real because they are placed amidst the reality and struggle of nonsense in everyday life so just wanted to say amen to that he said the rest of god restoring your soul by restoring sabbath by mark buchanan and then he said come let us play by wanda nash which he said is out of print 
But uh, he said, I don't really, really appreciate the significance of the books when I first read it. But since then, childlikeness and littleness and playfulness have become increasingly important to my understanding of what faith and living a life of faith means, which is great. Interesting. Um, yeah. OK, uh, we could go on. Thank you uh, so much to people who've written in. And sorry oh. if we don't get through all your letters. So perhaps we'll just finish with this one. Uh, yeah, uh, some really good stuff about gender from Simon, who says he had his own when Harry met Sally moment. Our listeners are having their own when Harry met Sally moments when they listen to us, which slightly <laughs> unnerves me. Uh, but anyway, yes, yes. he said, picking up on the discussion as to helpful imagery of God, I'm fully on board with the ideas that you've put forward. But I wonder if swinging the pendulum from male-dominated language to female-dominated language is missing a trick seems to me the narrative of the bible is extremely subversive with regards to gender as it is with so many other things whilst the entirety of the bible is played out in patriarchal societies it feels that in both the old and new testament there is something else going on reframing perhaps or subverting the expected cultural norms Perhaps the church has not just not got the joke. Like with Eve being called helper, we tend to consider this a lowly title, but then God refers to himself in that way. Jill picked up on this wonderfully with her idea of being the first and the, and the empowering force for action. Or even the significance of women throughout Jesus' lineage and life, or how Jesus scandalises the cultural image of patriarch in the parable of the prodigal son, better named the loving father, a patriarch running, waiting, not insisting on his own rights. There seems to be a movement about gender stereotypes that we've totally missed. And then he said, maybe we've imposed our cultural norms onto God and onto the text and then marginalised the text that suggest otherwise. Instead, maybe we can draw the meaning of fatherhood and motherhood from how God portrays them. Perhaps then the gender analogies uh, may become helpful again and they may also transform women and men's days perhaps a women's day could revolve around the image used in Hosea of God likening himself to a bear robbed of her cubs ripping her enemies apart the practical demonstrations <laughs> could be fun yes <laughs> that's good isn't it violent women day it would be great yeah I mean Simon the great stuff in there I mean the prodigal son is interesting because I heard the other day uh that in the Middle East, I don't know if I've mentioned this on the podcast, because now we're 30, yeah. I can't remember what we talked about and what we haven't. But yeah. um, it, uh, I, in the Middle East, they call it the parable of the running father. Yeah. The story good. of the running father, which is uh, mm. because that's... it's That's it's how so, astounding it is, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not, that's not normal behaviour for patriarchs to do that, you know, and it, 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 they turn it around. I love that, the parable of the running father. Anyway. Okay. Should we move on to some book recommendations from them? He says, he says first of all, uh, he said, well, number two, The Sunflower by Simon, uh, I can't say that, Wiesenthal, I think, yeah, The Sunflower, and then How to Survive a Shipwreck by Jonathan Martin, Reviving Old Scratch, The Devil and Demons for Doubters and the Disenchanted by Richard Beck, and then in fifth place, The Word That Describes the World by Walter Brueggemann. Mm. So there we now go. You did, well, he said uh, you've missed one, though, haven't you? You've missed. Well, yeah, I've, I've just. I've first. only said four of the five. You've missed that. He he recommended five. Yes. And you've missed the very. Well, first I thought one. for the sake of brevity, and I know how you like us to be pithy, I'd miss out the first one. And what was the first one that you missed out? The longest week by Nick Page. He says. <laughs> <Would> you... <laughs> <laughs> Goodness sake. He said, this book really made me stop and deeply consider what the, what the Jesus story was about. You mentioned books that made you reread the Bible with renewed wonder. And this was such a book for me. Well, thank you. That's, <sighs> that's lovely. I'm sorry it I had to wrench that out of Joe. <laughs> 
yeah. and so, Simon did write lots of uh, comments about those books. Yeah. We'll put them onto the website. I'll try and at some point we'll try and get some kind of master library list together. Yeah, it'd be uh, good, it, wouldn't it? We've had such a lot of good response. Yeah. But yeah, that's well, I mean that is that. a that is a good book. And I know when I've asked you about, you know, your favourite books and ones you've enjoyed writing, you've you've often said that, that that was quite an important book for you. Yeah, it um, did. I mean, I think uh, rereading the Bible, I think it for me the longest week. Well, it, I want to explain. It's a week. It's a book about the last week of Jesus' life and looking at the history behind that. And um, it forces you to sort of reread the thing and um, completely changed my sort of view of Jesus, really, or was part of that process of changing my view of who Jesus is. Um, so I thought. I thought today we might talk a little bit about Jesus. I don't know if you've heard of him. <laughs> I read about him once. <laughs> Did you? Yeah, you must yeah. remember him. Walks on yeah. water. That guy. Yeah. Anyway, um, my brother. I stopped my brother about podcasts, and he was saying you haven't um, you haven't done an episode on Jesus yet, which yeah, I thought was probably it's quite um, perceptive. Yes, <laughs> interesting. Yes. Yeah. Well, I suppose I. You know, I mean, I, I feel like he's he's. He's popped up quite a lot in conversation. I, I like to think so, but I wonder but, if we were to go back and listen to them all, <laughs> yeah. which I wouldn't wish on anyone, by the way. But I think it is. I think it is interesting because yeah. uh, we talk. We talk a lot in the podcast about you know how in the mid faith crisis your view of God might change. You know, changing yeah. our view of God, and I do wonder if our um, an equal change takes place in our view of Jesus, um, or whether whether it's different. Um, uh, you you sent me through a while back some stuff from uh, Dave Tomlinson's book yeah, yeah. about this. Do you want yeah. to kind of share that yeah, with the listener? I, yes, I would love to share that with the listener. I mean, you know, his, his book, which is Black Sheep and Prodigals, An Antidote to Black and White Religion, which I think, you know, I plugged before on the podcast and, and said I found it really helpful. And he goes through and he does, he does, on the one hand, seem to dismantle everything and it can, it can feel you leave uh, feeling a bit you know well bewildered and also wondering and questioning well hang on I've questioned everything and now I'm not sure what's left but so what he did in the last couple of chapters of the book is he sort of restored an image of Jesus and faith and the church uh, which I just found very positive and um, and and in the midst of that when he was doing in his chapter at the end called um, I believe God is human. He said that he he just kind of reframed, um, I suppose, the proposals of Jesus. He said, while Jesus never explicitly voiced these proposals, I'm convinced they represent in modern form and idiom the sort of values and, and priorities that he embodied and proclaimed in the Gospels. So let me just read through one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight of these and, and see what you think. Yeah. So firstly, he constantly affirmed the dignity and value of people who are marginalised and stigmatised in society. Women, children, immigrants, so-called sinners and the ritually unclean. Then he boiled the 613 laws from the Hebrew Bible down to just two basic essentials. Love God with all you are and love your neighbour as yourself. He taught people to critically evaluate the religious dogmas of the day and to look to the heart of their religion instead of worrying about rules and conventions. At the same time as being kind and generous towards the poor, the excluded and the defamed, he relentlessly criticised the wealthy and the powerful and especially the self-serving religious establishment. He denounced nationalism and tribalism, often making foreigners and social misfits the heroes of his stories. 
He commended reaching out to strangers and taught us to love our enemies. He condemned social injustice and greed and called on the wealthy and influential to use their privilege to benefit others. He gave a voice to the voiceless and stood up for the rights of those who had no rights. And finally, he said that the way we treat other people directly reflects the actual nature of our religion. Uh, he also read The Guardian and uh, <laughs> really enjoyed hummus. Are you finding that a bit liberal for your taste, <laughs> by any chance? It's not, it's not so much that I dis- It's just, it's very partial, isn't it? I mean, it's kind of like, it's all good stuff. I can see it and I can see why he might reframe it. And like, to be fair to Dave, I haven't read the, the book, so I don't know what, what? The, the stuff is around it. Oh. No, you know that I don't read books by other authors. <laughs> other, <laughs> yeah. Anyone alive. Um, but, you know... <laughs> Um, it, I mean, it seems to miss out on quite a lot of rather key. Well, he's not. He wasn't things. at that point making big uh, theological dogmatic oh, okay. statements about the nature of who was Jesus Christ. He was trying to say, "Here's some good reasons to follow Jesus." Still, right? Because yeah, this is okay. the kind of things that he got up to. Well, yeah. But surely one of those good reasons is bound up in um, forgiveness and resurrection, isn't it? Um. Well, forgiveness and resurrection are really important concepts to embrace, but uh, yeah. But you know, I, I think that's, but I think that's I, just I, not the point he was making. Okay, all right. Those... Well, I don't want to accuse him of yeah, this. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I just yeah. think that actually what we have there is a picture of Jesus as a um, social revolutionary, yeah, uh, which is certainly part of the picture, but it misses out on, I think, I don't think that's how the early church saw him primarily. The early church saw him as uh, a wonder worker, you know, uh, a man of yeah. miracles, uh, and also as uh, the key thing for them was the resurrection. So any description of Jesus, I feel, that doesn't sort of bring in the resurrection is is missing out a, a, the core part of yeah. uh, early Christology of what it what it amounts to, really. Um, um, I, I I mean, obviously, I can't disagree with that because a you know uh, Christian history far better than I do, and I, you know, I'm I'm becoming increasingly less interested in theological statements about Jesus, and 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 I think this is where I tend to personally swing the pendulum. I know is I'm far more interested in following Jesus. What is it exactly we're following? And I think what that's outlining there is this is what we're following. This is what Jesus did. This is what made him so notorious. Yeah, but I would say that without the resurrection, what you've got there is essentially a you know the Jesus of Nazareth Memorial Society, because you're not following anyone live. Okay. You're not following anyone, um, you know, he, who who is a contemporary, as it were. I mean, that's what part of what the resurrection does uh, yeah. is that it 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 makes Jesus our contemporary. You know, so it turns if you just if you just go with those kind of ideas, and I'm sure this is not. Yeah. You know, I want to be yeah, fair yeah. to Dave. I'm sure this is not. Yeah. Uh, we move on from Dave now. Precisely words. But if if we just go with that broad idea of yeah. of Jesus as a you know, social revolutionary, and we miss out on the um, the miraculous. I think yeah. uh, then actually, what we what we do have is we ha- we just have, like I said, the, the 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 Jesus of Nazareth Memorial Society, and when when we all get together, we remember him. But he doesn't, he's not with us in any sense. Well, uh, he's not there. Well, yeah, um, I want to disagree with you because I mean, it depends what you mean. In the sense of Jesus with us, if you and and this is where I find 
Richard Raw's stuff quite helpful in that he actually distinguishes between Jesus of Nazareth and the pre-existent word of God, the Christ. So in other words, he wants to say Jesus Christ. Christ wasn't his surname and mm. Jesus is, mm. you know, first name. But actually there's there's something going on here. And what you have in Jesus of Nazareth is this fully incarnate image of humanity and the Christ, the Christ that is pre-existent and everywhere and the Christ that is in you and me. And that, and so in terms of contemporaryness, yes, well, the Christ power that was in Jesus of Nazareth is also available to you, is also available to me and is available to all of creation because it actually is in all, crea all of creation. Have we gone too far and are we losing the listeners now? <laughs> no, well, you're, you're, you're losing me, but I'm not the average listener. No, I think, no, I, 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 you know, I suppose I come back again and again to the empty tomb, which is the yeah. key core yes. message of the early church. Yeah. And that, you know, it, it can so easily be sort of redefined as um, either wishful thinking or a metaphor. But that, mm. I, I don't think you can do that with the early church. I think that's what they were claiming. Yeah. They didn't, with they Jews believed in the resurrection of the physical body. They didn't believe in a sort of metaphorical idea. Um, yeah. and, uh, and, and I mean, indeed, it, when you kind of read about it, there's a sense, and it, this came across when I was working on The Longest Week and, and other books about Jesus, yeah. there's a sense of shock and surprise going on in the early yeah. accounts that it happened. They weren't expecting yeah. that. No, sure. And, and that's why I think some of the accounts are so um, muddled in a way. You know, they're not. They they have sort of sharp corners. They have uh, a, a bit of mess to them because they, because it was a complete um, surprise to them. And I think, um, I think one of the the best one of the best accounts I've read of this recently is in Rowan Williams' book on uh, I can't remember for the life of me what it's called, but it's about the 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 crucifixion and resurrection. Mm. Um, and he talks about how the 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 point of the resurrection is that it it. Um, transfigures our history. It transfigures our. It, yeah. it means that it, it's it, you know it's not a metaphor. It's it means that the wounds, the death, the pain, the sadness yeah. in all that can be transfigured. Yes. And so you take that away, you turn it into a metaphor, then you d you don't really uh, get that. Well, yes. Well, you and I may disagree on if you turn it into a metaphor, you don't really get that because I think death and resurrection is the pattern of the universe. There's death and resurrection going on in our very bodies now. There's death and resurrection going on in my life right now. To be honest, there are things that there's things that are dying. That's not a metaphor. Your life's not a metaphor. <laughs> well, it is. It's, it's a metaphor you for say that. chaotic. It's a metaphor for disaster. That's a what it's a metaphor. Chaotic waste of talent. Look obviously. at this life and let it be a warning to you. <laughs> is what I'd say. <laughs> but there's a reality going on there as well. There's a reality yes. of things stopping, things starting, or you know. Um, no, there is, just like there's a reality to the seasons. There's death and resurrection going. We're in the winter season. I don't particularly enjoy this. It's been grey all day. I haven't seen the sunshine today. You know, there's a sort of, you know, there's a joy that's missing that is there in spring when it's sunny and warm. There's new birth and there's growth and there's things. There's, you know, there's there is death, there is resurrection. And actually, part of the mystery is it's all bound up in, uh, in our lives and in, in my body and in my life. Yeah, but I think that's well, all going so, on. Yes, I, I suppose the point I'm trying to make is you can certainly take those words or take that story and yeah. use it metaphorically, but the story itself is not a metaphor. The event itself yeah. was an event. That's what the early church claimed. Yeah. 
they they didn't view for them events were events were real and things they didn't they didn't view them as you know it wasn't just somebody walking along one day and think well wouldn't it be nice if that happened no well, not not in my opinion anyway okay well, well since we're having this liberal conversation which i know is dangerous you know mm. uh, but let's 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 delve into it let's let's talk about the ascension of christ you know okay. and and the you know so you say well events weren't metaphorical metaphorical things actually happened or as we're coming up to christmas let's talk about the virgin birth and you would know as i do the compelling reasons that are put forward by some who on the left side of things who tend to say that well actually you know although although matthew and luke do mention uh the virgin birth it's very strange that paul doesn't that predates those gospels or that mark doesn't that also predates those gospels and that it was a way of writing to influence to to name the significance of someone so you know um also caesar was uh, uh, you know said to be uh, born of a virgin mm. and so and and the way that caesar's importance was signified was by birth narratives about him being born of a virgin mm. and so so some people say look the historicity of the actual factual event is not the issue the issue is is this true and so it is true without necessarily being factual it is true that jesus was immense of immense significance and so they they put this birth narrative in to demonstrate the importance of this person who is teaching and to demonstrate the importance of his teachings and how subversive he was and how important he was now so the question is, let's stick on a safer subject because I'm steering us away from resurrection, you know, it's quite yes. deliberately. Do you know, was Jesus born of a virgin by what we mean of a virgin, someone, you know, a girl who did not have sex with mm. anyone? Mm. Or are those stories there to demonstrate something else? And would it matter? Because you and I both know people for whom they say, oh, yeah, no, we don't believe the... Um, the birth stories literally and they're great followers of jesus and we also know people both of us who to say for one second that that wasn't an actual factor of it would absolutely destroy them and would say mm. well then you're not a christian or that doesn't make sense or you can't trust any of it or the whole lot how can you believe any of it if you take that out so well uh, yeah. okay well i think that uh, um uh, that's think, the dilemma uh, i think can both be symbolic and true and actually happen that's the nature mm. of god working through history uh so uh, i think that the early church particularly wasn't that uh worried about the birth uh narrative which is why it's mm. not there in uh two of the gospels although john has an even more um startling statement at the beginning of his yes, gospel. He, <laughs> he doesn't does. even bother going to the virgin birth he goes straight to creation yeah so you know yeah. um I, Which is I, true. Yeah, no one would question that. Well, right, okay, so you don't might, have any problem with that one. You don't have any problem with that one, but you have a problem with the virgin birth. That's interesting. Okay, um, I think that I think that it, what it's saying is, is about I don't have a problem with any of it. Oh, okay. <laughs> Let's end this podcast rather quickly. No, I just um, think it's all true. Yeah. Oh, Lord. And now you're going to say, but what do we mean by true? No, and I'm, I'm not. I'm even... going to wait for the opportunity to come down to Worthing and slap you about a bit and say, is that <laughs> yes. true? Is that true? Is that real? Just like you did last time. Yeah, exactly. So I think the um, 
what what is important and why that why that story is in there and whether or not you consider it factually true yeah. i personally uh, would err on that side i i'm a mm. big believer in the historicity of the gospels in fact yeah but um it's about incarnation that's yeah. the point yeah that's the point it's well, about god becoming man yeah and that and that is the the that's true when you, you go through to the other end, to the resurrection, which you whipped away from, yeah. uh, and to the ascension and to all these kinds of things, that they are about God in, in a man-shaped God, or God yeah. in a man-shaped whole. Uh, you know, as, and, and that's the point about Jesus. That's why, that's why I have to go with the historicity. I want to go with the historicity, yeah. because I think if, if, if that's not the case, then all I'm following... And this might not be a bad thing to follow, but it's it's not it's not the same. Um, is a uh, ultimately a, a good man, an ethical man, you know, very mm. very good man. Yeah. But that's I don't want to be part of the Jesus of Nazareth Memorial Society. Yeah, sure. I want to be a Christian. I want to be a follower yes. of Jesus. So the question is, you know, what is it about Jesus yeah. that makes us want sure. to follow him? And it's life. Yeah. That's that's the that's for me what it is. It's about in him, John says, was light and life. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so you don't you don't want sorry. to be a Christian humanist. You no. You you, you want to be a Christian uh, deist, I suppose. You know that, that actually unashamedly, you know, Jesus is the Son of the Living God. Yeah, I'm there a Trinitarian. Is, I there think is, Jesus, there's the community of the divine there. If you want to use your kind of um, yes, I do love that language. Thank you. Um, the, the, I, the, the thing that I think you will, you would find annoying arguing with me about, and please don't think for one second I necessarily believe all these things because I because uh, I you know I'm a work in progress. Are you just being naughty? But, no, I'm not being naughty because oh, I genuinely okay. think this. I, you say I believe in the Trinity. I believe in the Trinity. I like, like that particular doctrine, as I have studied it, you know more and more has become increasingly fine. I mean, I never even used to think about the trinity or know about it and it didn't really make much difference to my concept of the divine or mm. my life now i would say it's probably the most foundational thing in many respects but the question is are we caught up in the life of the trinity and you know i i believe that's the invitation of jesus to, to be caught up in the life of the trinity i really well, do I, I certainly agree with that if i may quote gregory of nyssa oh Greg again. I think it was him. He opened a fabulous bakery. It is Gregory Gregory of Nyssa's bakery. Very good. Uh, great pasties. Um, I think he said there were four four people in the Trinity. I think it's that phrase. You know, in yeah. other words, that once you know we 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 can become part of that. Yeah. But anyway, so you were back on where I might get annoyed. Well, with I you. think where you get annoyed is I'm just going to keep agreeing with you and saying, yep, yep, yep. And then you'll come to a point and you go, but no, you can't believe that. But I, I can. No, no, no. But that's I'm just telling, explaining the route we're going to go down. Uh, we, I don't know if we're going to go that far. No, we really, probably are. You've got, because you've got a wife in A&E. Ultimately, <laughs> I need to go to... <laughs> and also, it generally ends up with us laughing and taking the mick out of each other, which I think is also a healthy thing. Yes, indeed. And uh, a lot of church councils would have been much better had they gone down that route. I think, um, for me... <laughs> so here we are. We've got these slightly different emphasis there. Um, what do we say to people who, who want to kind of... Uh, explore more for themselves or what it what is it what do we say to people who are who in their mid-faith crisis want to 
look again at Jesus. Here's what I'd say. I'd say read a gospel. Yeah. I'd say really read it. You know, just uh, come to it with fresh eyes. I think one of the amazing things I find as a historian, yeah. somebody who's read the gospels over and over and over again, is every time I read them, I find something new. Every yeah. time I find something, like that. and that's, it could be my faulty memory. Having said that, <laughs> it could be my powers. No, of... but it is true, isn't it? And yeah. do you not still go to the Bible and go, I swear I've never read that again, even though you know you must yes. have done, because technically you know you've read every word. But yeah, you... yeah no, and it, stories it, and... jump out with new significance. And you always bring your life to the Bible, don't you? Yeah, and here's where I would go. I think no. Christ brings his resurrected life to it as well, in, in that experience. I completely agree with that. You know. Oh, Lord. Yeah, it's boring, isn't it? But then I suppose if I was to be picky, I'd say Christ brings his resurrection life to it. Okay. And what you you see... So you'd say the same sentence, just in a different inflection. No, because you said Jesus. And I said Christ, and I said that very deliberately. I thought I said Christ, but I'm in charge of the edit, so what I will do is I'll go back and (laughs) re-record it. We'll see. But if, well, assuming you did say Jesus, which you might yeah. not have done, and I said Christ, then that was a very deliberate difference in my delivery and what so I was you, trying to say. So you're getting, I think you're getting dangerously Gnostic here. You're getting a split between uh, the bodily Jesus and this uh, fluffy, floaty Christ. Uh, you may this, say that. This was the kind of thing that uh, they got very angry about in the 4th century. Well, you know, they got angry about a lot of things in the 4th century, to be fair. You know, if (laughs) their tea wasn't hot enough, you know, if it was served at 68 degrees instead of Um, 73, you know, there was, you know, people were beheaded, as we all know. But Constantinople FC were rubbish (laughs) in the transfer market. There was all sorts of anger flying about. There was a lot of anger. About all kinds of things. I just draw, you know, I'm basing what I believe I... On the Bible, I am taking passages like John chapter 1 and Colossians chapter 3 and Ephesians, whatever the chapter is. Is that Ephesians 1 as well? I'm not sure. You know, about the cosmic Christ, the Christ that is in all things, the Christ that holds the universe together. I mean, astrophysicists might call it the singularity. I don't know. Well, they wouldn't be meaning exactly the same thing. But, you know, the thing through which everything is made and everything holds together. So would you... So I wouldn't make any distinction between that and Jesus. No, Christ, because Christ wasn't his name; it was his job description. Yes, that's a good way of putting it. Um, so for me, the you know, to, to, the, the Jesus is the whole package. That's okay, well let's thing. let's as we've taken the red pill and we are jumping down the hole mm. to see how far it goes. What's the difference between you? Nick Page mm. and Jesus of Nazareth. What is the, what is it? Is it the ontological difference? It's, I I don't know what I'm talking it's about now. Ontological. You know, place in Canada. Yeah, I know. I, well, I think so. I I need to go <laughs> and that? refresh my theological phrase book too. Mm. <laughs> but you know, what is the essential difference? Do, you know, is the Christ power that was fully incarnate in Jesus of Nazareth also available to Nick Page of Ensham. Well, yes. Mm. Well, because there we Paul go. says we can have the mind of Christ. Yeah, 
But I don't think Paul is making a distinction. I don't think Paul makes that kind of classifying distinction between Christ and Jesus that you seem to be making. I'm not sure. My, I'm very bad at okay. theology, as any listener will now know. It's become abundantly clear. I'm not sure I'm clever enough to kind of spot where that is. Um, I think, well, how do, we, how, do we, how do we move this on? Where do we go uh, well, from here? Well, I, I, I think that, you know, your reasons in mid-faith for following Jesus vary. I mean, so I, I, I started following Jesus because I was told you'll get to heaven if you follow mm. Jesus, you know, as mm. in after you die, because Jesus has done this incredible thing because he was God's son and died on the cross and my sins could be forgiven if I put my trust in him, you know, blah, 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 classic things. Well, I'm not saying that is in any way untrue or that that isn't an adequate reason to follow Jesus, but actually... My reasons for following Jesus now are are partially now, if not very significantly, because Jesus, I think, is the smartest person that's ever lived. And and that the life that he taught about is verifiable and provable. And you can taste the life that Jesus had. Now, I only get glimpses of it because I don't do it very well most of the time. But occasionally, the abundant life that he talks about, I live. And in the midst of my life, which is in absolute chaos, you know, seemingly so much of the time, I get to taste some of that peace and joy of the kingdom of God that is available. And that is a good reason to follow Jesus. And it's all those things that Dave talked about in that book, as well as the theological statements that you're wanting to make about Jesus and his resurrection as well. So you put it all together and there's a good reason to follow Jesus. I would have similar uh, views. I think one early in life I f followed Jesus because it was all about salvation. It, yeah. You know, that was the whole yeah. thing. It was about the cross. Now yeah, I follow Jesus because it. it's about the empty tomb. I think because it's about life, uh, yes. fullness of life, yeah. and a life that he is living uh, with me, uh, in me. Yeah. You know, my life is hid with Christ in God. You know, yeah, that's such the, a great verse. Herbert wrote. So, well, it's in the Bible. No, anyway, I, th I, um, think, I think Paul may have got there first. Yeah, I think he did. Yes, yes. <laughs> I don't know why I quoted him. He's Herbert. such a plagiarist. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. anyway, so we would, I think, uh, yeah, here's the thing. Read the Gospels. Read the Gospels. It's a good time to read the Gospels. It's Advent. You know, yes. it's a good good time to, to go through that. Read it, uh, dwell with it, see what comes out, and uh, by all means get in touch with... Uh, what you think? Why are you a Christ follower? Are you a Christ follower? I suppose. Why? Why do you follow him? Uh, I'd like to hear from you. If you could avoid using the word ontological, I think I'd be very um, grateful. <laughs> yeah, to me too. You know, <laughs> that'd, be, that'd be great. That so, would be good. So write to Joe at midfaithcrisis.org. Love yes. to hear what what would be your compelling reasons to follow Jesus. We want to hear from you. And if any of you uh, also want to write in and uh, recommend any more of my books that Joe can ignore, that would be uh, tremendous as well. <laughs> hey, listen, readers, listeners even, put yes. a Nick Page book on your Christmas list, especially The Longest Week. Have you written any Christmas books? Uh, well, Wrong Messiah I mean, has a big chapter on why everything we know about Christmas is probably wrong. <laughs> Great. Well, that's cheery. So that's, that's quite cheery. <laughs> that is your Christmas single, is it? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Great. <laughs> <laughs> yes, mistletoe. And <laughs> anyway, uh, thank you. And on that terrible pun, that's I think great. we should let you get off to uh, your injured woman. 
Thank you. I shall. And and may I remind you all to click through to the website, midfaithcrisis.org, and you can then click through to the Lee Abbey website and you can book your week to come, that incredibly cheap week. Uh, I should say all meals are included, uh, but no whiskey or wine. That you have to uh, bring or buy your own. Yes. OK, well, thanks for that clarity especially on the issue of alcohol we might have gone into slightly too much granular detail there um anyway um <laughs> thank you very much for listening assuming you still are uh, do get in touch and i think this is a subject that we're going to have to pick up um oh yeah a bit in the future uh have a have a great week and uh, we'll be in touch soon thanks bye bye